This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was read this morning was taken from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, and the reading commenced from the 9th through to the 12th verses. It read as follows. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle blowing. I want to pick up and continue on from verse 13 into your hearing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left and they seek my life to take it. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. In our Did You Know segment this morning, I spoke about the life and legacy of Hall of Fame radio host, Joe Madison, more commonly known by his handle, the Black Eagle. For those of you who may not have been familiar with the Black Eagle, his radio show could have been heard on Sirius XM radio every weekday from 6 a.m. in the morning until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And he boasted a reported audience of more than 26 million people. There is no other African-American that had such a reach, and his opinion, his knowledge, and his research made him what I think the single most influential American in all news media. I'm sure some of you may be thinking, how could I say that, considering that many of you might never have even heard of him. But let me be real with you. 
people of considerable influence, decision makers, policy architects in our government, presidents and vice presidents, and every single executive at CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and the like, and everyone else, took their cues from Joe Madison, the Black Eagle. And to be even more frank, while I personally listen to all sources of news in America and even around the world, I trusted no one more for my analysis than Joe Madison. He was my source for news because his analyses were thoughtful, sincere, and most of all, intellectually curious and honest as he spoke in a language that all could understand because in his own words, he didn't have a cut card. I'm thankful that he honored me in 2019 by playing one of my sermons in its entirety on his radio show, a sermon I had titled, <laughs> Make America Great Again, which is now forever a part of the Madison archives. These are his words. A collection, by the way, of his life's work, which I believe should be enshrined in both the Library of Congress and the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, DC. So much respect I have for this work of this man, this great man. Now I'm taking time to share all of this with you for two reasons. The first is to recognize a true legend on this first Sunday of Black History Month. And secondly, to encapsulate what I know about his life's work in the context of our journey of faith. Joe Madison, the Black Eagle, was passionate about his people, and I want to do my part in making sure that while some of you might not have heard of him, you will come to appreciate his commitment in a message I've chosen to title, Quiet Strength. Let us pray. Lord, you are here working in our midst, moving things around, even what we don't know you're doing. And so, Father, today we thank you, for you are indeed a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, and the light, the light in the darkness of our lives. So we honor you today, now bless this word, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So to be clear, Joe Madison was anything but quiet. <laughs> the slightest provocation, especially if you were a Yahoo that tried to justify why you were not going to vote, would all but send him into a frenzy, and I loved it. But be that as it may, he had a relentless drive to see people of color, and all people for that matter, do better. It was not enough for him that you would state a problem or complain about an issue. Joe wanted to know, what are you going to do about it? This was the whole point of his show, and that made him radioactive. Joe taught us that in America, we're socially conditioned to believe that whites are superior and blacks are inferior and the manifestation of that social conditioning is that black people are undervalued, underestimated, and marginalized. And in the words of the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Joe echoed 
the sentiments of Dr. King, where Dr. King said the two most dangerous things in this world were conscientious stupidity and sincere ignorance. Joe made sure that we as a people never forgot that. So again, to be clear, Joe Madison was anything but quiet because he couldn't and wouldn't be. For a while he used his platform to make sure that we care deeply about social justice, deeply about education, deeply about voting rights, and deeply about ourselves. The reality is that his voice was drowning in a sea of media prejudice that had little respect for things that affect black people and black excellence in news. Joe was grieved that the struggle for justice was becoming overly strenuous as he had spent his whole life fighting for important causes, traveling to Haiti, as I said, after the 2010 earthquake, assisting relief workers in the Gulf states after Hurricane Katrina, leading 90 straight days of demonstrations and being arrested to raise awareness of genocide in the Sudan, taking six trips to the country in the middle of its civil war to deliver survival kits to refugees and even participated in the freeing of over 7,000 Sudanese slaves. And according to President Joe Biden himself, Joe Madison was the voice of a generation as he advocated for the anti-lynching legislation that President Biden himself said he was proud to sign in 2022. So Joe had a track record of success and it is understandable that his influence and credibility would lead him to be inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame and to be the recipient of numerous awards. I'm talking about Joe Madison. Joe Madison, the Black Eagle, was anything but quiet, and he did something about it by flying a mile high. So too did Elijah. In our text found in 1 Kings 19, we find the prophet Elijah in a cave hiding. Elijah was hiding because after just having a major spiritual victory in a showdown on a place called Mount Carmel, where through a mighty demonstration of God's power, he had killed off all of the prophets of the false god Baal and thought that he had finally rid Israel of these idol worshipers. You see, here's what I want you to understand, church. At this point in the text, where Elijah is hiding in a cave, he had just had an amazing experience with God. He was being challenged by idol worshipers and they wanted to see whose God was more powerful. Mm. So Elijah said, listen, call your God and cause the sacrifice to burn. And they called their God to the point where Elijah even started laughing and said, hey, maybe your God is asleep. So Elijah had water poured on the sacrifice and a ditch dug around it. And when Elijah called upon his God, Lightning came from heaven and burnt up all the sacrifice, proving therewith that God was indeed with Elijah. My challenge with the church today in many ways is that when calamity and challenges hit our lives, we don't have anyone who demonstrates such great faith that the people could follow today. So we ask, where are the Elijahs of the world? And I dare say we ask the wrong question. We don't need to be looking for the Elijahs of the world. We need to be looking for the God of Elijah. 
in this world. So Elijah was hiding in a cave after doing such an amazing thing for God. And he thought that Israel would finally get it, that God was real. But what in fact had happened is after this victory, his victory was short-lived because no soon after Elijah had had this amazing demonstration of spiritual power. No sooner had he had that than the wicked queen Jezebel decided she wanted to take his life. The text tells us that so fearful was Elijah that he even petitioned God himself to take his life already. For as far as Elijah was concerned, his life had become meaningless, thinking that his past victories would lead to some kind of change or reform in Israel. For it was Elijah who challenged the evil king Ahab and prophesied that drought would come upon the whole land as a consequence for Ahab's evil. It was Elijah who was fed by ravens during that same drought. It was Elijah that had met the widow in a neighboring country and through her obedience to Elijah's request, God had provided food for her and her son throughout that drought. It was Elijah who had called upon God to send down fire from heaven. So my brothers and my sisters, what I want you to know, that this great man, Elijah, was hiding in a cave from a queen named Jezebel who wanted to take his life. So Elijah asked God to do him the honor and take it himself. So Elijah did his work and did it so well that no one could ask him, Elijah, what are you going to do about it? For Elijah was doing it. You see, Elijah believed that since he had won this great victory, all his troubles would be over and that Israel would once again turn to worshiping the Lord. You see, after some great accomplishment, yeah. it is easy to think that things will be better. After you have done some great things, it's very easy to think that things will be better. In fact, we can identify with Elijah's situation. How so, preacher? Well, the Emancipation Proclamation, this is Black History Month. The Emancipation Proclamation, which precipitated the Civil War, which, yeah. by the way, in case you don't know, you know, you know was fought over slavery. Yes, sir. Okay? Some people running for president need to know that. <laughs> the Civil War was fought over slavery. Let's be clear. But it did not stop plantation owners from abusing people. Well, you see, we can identify with Elijah because after the great victory where black people were now in Congress, the Reconstruction Era would ensure that former slaves and freed people would have equal protections under the law as provided for by the 14th Amendment, but it was not so. Well, you see, you can have a great victory and have great expectations, but things don't always turn out the way you wanted them to. You see, there was a time where black folks believed that sharecropping would work. But it didn't work, did it? Blacks would not need voting rights or even Civil Rights Act because we were citizens of the United States offered the same protections by the United States Constitution. That's what we thought. And after all these great victories, we thought we thought that black people also has the right to bear arms. Mm. But ask any police officer if that is true. 
Because whether or not you are of a licensed firearm or not, you are a target. So my point is, we can identify with Elijah. Where you think that everything now has worked out. God has shown up in a mighty way. God has freed the slaves. God has done this for us. But somehow, Jezebel is still after our lives. But what do you do when your life's work and everything that you put into seeing some kind of social change does not occur, but instead it leads you to being a target yourself. Especially after doing so much great things in your life. You know what I'm talking about. What do you do when you work for over 30 years in a company, giving your all, and as you approach your time to retire, you're told you have no pension? You know what I'm talking about. You've worked. Right? Well, what do you do when you went ahead and not just got a bachelor's degree, but you got master's degrees and you can't get a job, let alone even an interview? Well. I'm just saying what I'm saying. What do you do when, like Joe Madison, with all of his accomplishments and influence, you go on a risky hunger strike in an effort to get Congress to pass the John Lewis voting rights bill and it doesn't pass? Mm. I'm talking about what happens when the things you have worked hard for and the respect that you should have earned and the investments you have made in living a true and honest life does not result in you reaping the benefits, but instead you are left running for your life and trying to find shelter. Yes, sir. When you have poured your heart and soul into relationships and into things that were meaningful, and all of a sudden things don't look the way, you can hear Elijah, can't you? Can you see yourself in the cave? Yes, sir. Doesn't matter how much God used you or how good you think you are in the kingdom. Doesn't matter how fancy your robe is. At the end of the day, the enemy of our soul still chases you no matter how good you may think you are in the sight of God. I'm talking to people of God. Come on, preacher. Yes, sir. That's if you've worked, worked, and worked, and worked on a project, or something that was meaningful and you never seemed to make any progress. Like debt. <laughs> Discouragement yeah. is sure to set in. Yeah. This means that your enthusiasm and your optimism have now been replaced with doubt and negativity. Putting you in perfect company with Elijah. Mm. And like Elijah... Many of you are experiencing your own discouragements and are asking, what do you do when things don't turn out the way you expected them to? Yeah. And again, like Elijah, your extreme discouragement has now turned into depression. Well, my Lord. Talking to people of God. People may see you with a smile on your face. Uh -huh. When all the while your anger at your situation has brought you to the place where you can't even recognize yourself in the mirror anymore. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking real things where while you may pretend, no one sees the tears you cry when you are laying your head on your pillow and you can't even fall asleep. Where the blessing of God could be simple as just making me sleep. Some of you know what I'm talking about. This is the reason why Elijah said to God, just take my life already. Enough is enough. I am sick 
and tired of feeling like I'm working like a hamster on a wheel that's running and running and running but going nowhere and at the end of the years have nothing to show for it. Elijah is not just discouraged. Elijah is not just despondent. Elijah is, is, is not just having a pity party. Elijah is depressed and Elijah wants to die. Elijah wanted God to take his life. Elijah's success was meaningless to him. For after all of his hard work, he had nothing to show for it. And as a result, Elijah had nothing left to give. Have you been there? Have you been there where you know that things that used to come very easy to you seems to be the most hardest things for you to now do. You're trying to motivate yourself to move to the next step where just putting your foot on the ground after sleeping at night is sometimes the hardest thing to do. Taking a shower is a chore because you don't even feel like getting up. Where the dirt in your soul is just so toxic, choking you. It's, it's hard yeah. to even make the next step. Can you see Elijah? Mm. And all of this after you have done everything that God has asked you to do. You lived a good life. You played by the rules. You tithed in the church. You care for the poor. You do all the things that the preacher and the pastor tells you to do. But you look around and all of a sudden, somehow you feel like God is punishing you and you have no idea what to do next. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking about being in the fog of depression. Where nothing even brings a smile to your face anymore. And you pray that maybe if I go to church one day, the preacher just might say something that can take me out of this place that I know I cannot pull myself out of. Can you sit with Elijah for a moment in this cave? Some of you all can attest to what Elijah might be feeling. And while you may not have Jezebel chasing you, you do feel like your life is meaningless. That the truth of the matter is you don't need Jezebel chasing you because you are your own Jezebel. And if you didn't have the spirit of God trying to work on you, if you didn't have a church community that would stand by your side, if you didn't have people who cared for you, believe me, you don't need Jezebel to take you out. You do it yourself. Brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you is that this is real. And the church in many ways spends so much time telling you about how you're going to get your blessing today or how you're going to do this and God's going to do this. Meanwhile, you are wondering which God are you talking about? Because the same God of Elijah that we see and the same God that is giving you jet planes and all these things can't possibly be the same God when I can't put food on my table. I'm just asking the questions. I'm just a lowly preacher. I don't have the answers. But I can tell you something. The cave is not foreign to me. You find yourself in what I call the cave 
of despair. You see, the cave of despair is where many people go when they have nowhere else to turn. The cave, of course, is a metaphor for the internal place of isolation that you turn to because you have become so angry and frustrated that every little thing starts to set you off and nothing is enjoyable anymore. You know the cave. Yep. You, your once vibrant life that used to make you wake up early and ready to take on the challenges of the day have now been replaced with a hollow and empty reminder of what was once a purpose-driven life. Mm. Brothers and sisters, it is not uncommon for a period of depression to actually follow after a very uplifting religious experience. And it is in the moment, it's that moment when you tend to think that you are most alone in that place in the cave of your despair where things have all fallen apart around you it's a time when you feel like you are most alone but I came to tell you something the devil is a liar the devil is and always will be a liar you may not believe me but let me tell you the devil is and always will be a liar. And today we put the devil on notice because you know what? My God says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So you can do all the things you want. You can let me try to rot in my cave of despair. But my God is a way maker. My God is a miracle worker. And you know what? My God is a promise keeper. And here is the best part. You know what's unique about a cave? A cave is dark, very dark, and alone and lonely. But in that dark cave, my God is a light in the darkness. That is who you are. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it is not uncommon for a period of depression to follow after you've had some great spiritual experience. (laughs) And in times when you feel most alone, Uh sadly are the times when you're looking most for some kind of sign from God. That's when you're looking for a sign. Uh When you are most alone in your cave of despair, you're looking for some kind of sign. Show me something, God. Show me something. For you see, in your cave of despair, you're desperate. In your cave of despair, you're vulnerable. In your cave of despair, you are impressionable. But you know what else? In your cave of despair, you're weak. You're weak. In your cave of despair, you're weak. I want to sit there. In your cave of despair, you're weak. Pastor, why are you sitting there? Because I want you to understand that in your cave of despair, you're weak. You don't have the strength to get out of your cave. In your cave of despair, you're weak. The Apostle Paul reminds us that God's strength is made perfect 
in weakness. So, so let's see if we can look at how this works with Elijah in his cave of despair. Verse 9 says, he, meaning Elijah, he came there to a cave and lodged there. <laughs> and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Let's stop there for a moment. Point number one. In your cave of despair, where you are weak, did I say that? Yeah. In your weakness, God's strengths begin with him finding you. Go back to the text. He, meaning Elijah, came to a cave and lodged there. You, church folk, came to a cave of despair, pulled yourself out of the community of the church, went into your own isolation where you have your pity party, and you sit in there, and you want to wither away and die. But in your cave of despair, a voice says, what are you doing here? Put your name in the blank. What are you doing here, Kyle? What are you doing here, Charlotte? What are you doing here, Anthony? What are you doing here, Joanne? What are you doing here? Fill in the blank. So point one. In your weakness, God's strength begins with him finding you. Let's pick up verse 10. Verse 10 says, he, meaning Elijah, he now says to the Lord, I have been very zealous for the Lord. I have a passion for the ministry, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. <laughs> and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Point number two. In your weakness, God's strength continues with him listening to your true confession of what's at the root of your depression. Mm. See, Elijah was afraid and lonely. Let me see if I can make this plain to you. As you are in this cave of despair, God finds you. When God finds you, he asks you, what are you doing here? If you try to tell God something other than what's going on with you, God ain't going to hear you. So you got to be true to who you are. You got to be honest because when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, something happens. Jesus wants us to be 
honest about where we are and it is in your true confession that your deliverance will come because brothers and sisters and I say this to all kinds of people wherever I meet them anywhere I say listen if you can talk about your problem if you can talk about your struggle if you can talk about your pain your pain your struggle no longer controls you God you have found me in my cave of despair and I feel rejected by my family. God, you have found me in the cave of my despair. And I feel like I have failed my family. God, you have found me in my cave of despair. And I feel worthless. God, you have caught me and found me in the cave of my despair. And I have lost all hope. You see what I'm going, church? Where you can talk about where you really are, the beginning of God's strength being made perfect in your weakness has begun. So God finds you. He asks you where you are, and you are honest. Do you remember the last time God asked somebody where they were? In a place called the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? Lord, I was hanging out with Eve. And I was kind of hiding because I was naked. Who told you you was naked? Because you see, what the text is getting at is sometimes the thing that would stop you from confessing where you are is shame. Amen. When you are so ashamed of what has happened to you or where you are or where you have been, it is hard for you to talk about it. But can I tell you, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And when you can speak a thing and say, this is where I am, now you have taken back control. I'm just saying. So point one, God will find you in your cave of despair. Point two, you got to confess with your mouth yes, sir. where you really are. That's why we say during our prayer time when you come, we don't want people who are pretending. Do I not say that? We want people who are contending. Be honest about where you are. Be honest about what's going on in your life. Because unless you are honest, God ain't going to do nothing for you. Because you have not yet gotten to the place where you recognize your own weakness. I'm talking to somebody. Yes, sir. Let's jump to verse 11. So he, meaning God said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Stop right there. Point number three. In your weakness, God's strength begins to come perfect when he gives you instructions on where his peace may be found. Wow. God gives you instructions on where his peace may be found. Point number three. Let's continue. And behold, the Lord was passing by. (laughs) This is where it gets really, really interesting to me. And a great and strong wind was rending, that means ripping apart, the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord (laughs) was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Point number four. So let me reiterate. Point number one, when you're in your cave of despair, he will find you. Yes? Yeah. Point number two, when he finds you, he's going to ask you where you're at. And you've got to be honest about where you are in your soul. But don't miss that he calls you by name. Don't miss that. And then third, he's going to give you now instructions unto where his peace may be found. Was that number three? Yes, sir. Yeah. So point number four. In your weakness, God's strength is made perfect when you, him a church, when you can sense the gentleness of his presence. Yes. He was not in the strong wind that broke the rocks. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. But he was in the gentle blowing. In your weakness, when God's strength is starting to be made perfect, you can sense the gentleness of his presence. Yes, sir. In the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible tells us that Adam knew when God was walking in the cool of the garden. How many of you today know that if you can find the cool of the garden, it doesn't matter how all hell is breaking loose around you. It doesn't matter the storms in your life. It doesn't even matter if things are falling apart. It doesn't even matter if your children are disobedient. It doesn't even matter because when you walk in the cool of the garden, it is well with my soul. This is what I mean by quiet strength. It is a kind of strength that is not only characterized by an unwavering resilience, boundless empathy, abundant kindness, and persistent optimism, but a kind of resolve that comes through the settling of your spirit. It's why we have first Sunday morning meditation, because we intend to settle your spirit. It's why Jesus, when he walked on water in front of the storms, raging with the disciples, and they say, Lord, is that you? When you come into his presence, the only word you want to hear is peace. Be still. It is a kind of strength that is not expressed through loud displays of force like the strong wind breaking mountains and rocks into pieces or fear being driven by the rumbling force of an earthquake or even the visually intimidating destructive force of a fire. For while we wrestle in our caves of despair with our own depression, we tend to look for God in the spectacular. But God is not in any of these things. God is a cool God. He is a smooth God. He comes in the cool of the evening with a soft wind that you know not where it comes from or where it is going. But you can't tell but see the effects of the wind for the winds will cause it trees to sway. And while they may bend, they will not break. He is a cool one. Yeah. See, my brothers and my sisters in the cave of despair, 
we lament our troubles, our failures, our discouragements, our disappointments, and our depression. We ask, where are you, God? For I am ready to give up. Where are you, God? The depression is a person. He's in my room with me. He hangs out in my room. I lay on my bed, and he's a force that causes me to not sleep. Depression is a person. Where are you, God? Can you deliver me from this pain that I am in? Where are you, God? I am my own worst enemy. I am in deep despair. I agonize over my poor life choices. I live with so much regret. I have become so financially dependent. I remember days gone by. Lord, I think about all that you have done and I bring my mind to all of your deeds. I lift up my hands in prayer, but like dry ground, I produce nothing. And my soul is thirsty for you, God. I am exhausted, God. And in the quiet strength of our Lord. If you can sit still long enough, he whispers, be still and know that I am God. Fear not, for I am close to the brokenhearted. I save those who are crushed in spirit. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I, the Lord your God, will fight your battles and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You are the apple of my eye. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love you so much that I chose to die for you. This is the sound of the gentle blowing and it is the quiet strength. It is the sense you get deep in your soul to which the prophet Elijah, even with all of his success, needed the quiet strength in his cave of despair. It is the same thing where Joe Madison, even with all of his success, needed the quiet strength in his cave of despair as he battled prostate cancer. How about you? With all that you have accomplished in your life, you are not exempt from that cave of despair. For while you can sometimes put on a happy face, you cannot hide the deepest longings in your soul for some kind of peace. Jesus understands that longing. For no one had more success than he did. Yet after feeding thousands, healing hundreds. He too had an appointment with his own cave of despair, a place known as the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he asked for the cup to pass. 
Lord, let this cup pass from me if it be possible. I can't deal with this God. I am stuck. I am afraid. The Bible tells us he sweat poured from his pores like drops of blood. Jesus knew depression, but he held on to faith and he drank from the cup that was his to drink. Jesus understands your longing and mine for peace. But must you not drink from the cup that has been prepared for you? And oh, by the way, you need to understand that if Jesus asked you to drink from his cup, then what was in store for him is in store for you. But after the affliction comes the resurrection only for those who are not perishing. So when you who may be dead in spirit meet the Lord Jesus Christ and you have an authentic encounter with him your spirit is quickened and your flesh is revived and you are now able to listen clearly to the gentle blowing. You see, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and to have it more abundantly. And when you meet Jesus, your burdens and feelings of depression and despair, your powerlessness is broken and you are finally made free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So today, today, if you find yourself in whatever kind of cave of despair, Mm. whatever kind of cave of despair, number one, remember this, Jesus will find you. Number two, Jesus will listen to you. Number three, Jesus will lead you into his presence for his name's sake. For yea, though you walk through the valleys of the shadows of death, by the way, that's depression, you will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which is why we're taking communion today. He prepares a table before me in the presence of all of our enemies. And we too will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Jesus will find you. Jesus will listen to you. Jesus will lead you to his presence. But best of all, Jesus will deliver you. And all that is required of you is that you just be still and know that he is God. And believe, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he is God. And as he ministers to your soul in the sound of a gentle blowing, believe in him today and you find, will find rest for your weary souls in his quiet strength. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.